Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 344 for July 22nd, 2022. Today's guests are Travis Andrews and Andy Meyerson, who together make up the chamber music duo, The Living Earth Show. We talk about their music, their brand new label, Earthy Records, and listen to some selections of their work, including a track from Commando, their collective of queer and trans heavy metal rap and poetry artists. <sighs> I can't wait for you to hear this interview. It's super good. Uh, by the way, I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, and storyteller based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your, ear, to your ears for 17 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com. Just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, you can stop by my website, michaelherron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at michaelherron or email me, mikeypod at gmail.com. Hello. I already said hello, but I'm saying it again. Welcome to the show. Not a lot to check in with aside from to uh, tell you it's been a while since the last episode, as you've probably noticed, um, but I'm excited to finally get this interview out to you. It was really fun listening to this. And, you know, like one of the things that I get out of this podcast that I forget when I don't do one for a while, uh, especially in the case of this interview, which has been sitting around for a while, uh, sorry, gentlemen, is that it's uh, kind of inspiring. Like it's fun listening to this interview I did and with these musicians who are just fantastic and remembering like, oh, yeah, I make stuff. They make stuff really interesting. Like it's and I, I feel very excited to share this stuff with you. I don't know if any of that. It makes sense. It makes sense, right? Makes sense. It's also very hot in New York City, um, as it is, it seems like everywhere <laughs> right now. But um, I don't have the air conditioner on in my little studio here, so this might be a short intro because I get really fussy. I'm sure I've talked about that. Um, fussy is actually putting it lightly. I'm not a fan of the heat. Uh, the other thing I want to check in with before we get into the interview is that the 17-year anniversary of this podcast just past 17 years ago on July 4th, I made the first podcast. I can't believe it's been 17 years. Uh, so, I, and I know there are people who have been listening that long because I hear from you. Um, so thank you for listening. All these are, thank you for sticking with me during these breaks. And um, I, I guess I should also thank, uh, not just, I guess, I definitely need to thank my patrons on Patreon who uh, have been subscribing monthly for quite some time as well. Even in these dry spells when the podcast isn't happening, my apologies and gratitude to all of you. So let's listen to some music. This is from a, an album called Lyra by The Living Earth Show. This track is called Hades and Persephone. And after this, we'll hear from Andy and Travis. Thank you. 
That was Hades and Persephone from The Living Earth Show, who are joining me now, Andy and Travis from San Francisco is where you guys are right now, yeah? Yep. I love it. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm really excited (laughs) to talk about your work. I just have started digging into it, so I have a lot of questions. Maybe we could start, well, there are a couple of things 
more than a couple of things. You are a duo, a performing duo, a commissioning duo who also has a record label. Did I leave anything out of like the main components there? We also operate kind of as a production company. So the idea of like building a live show and like presenting that, like a production company presenting organization is something we also have under the um, the umbrella of our of the arts organization. But gotcha. That's the the third prong in the trident. <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about the track we just heard, uh, Hades and Persephone, which is from a project called Lyra. Talk to me about what we heard and what that's from. Lyra is uh, a, a piece that we premiered uh, this past October with San Francisco performances um, that we've been working on for. I don't know. I, I would say five years. Uh, it, it's the second um, evening length ballet that we've done with post ballet. The, the previous one was Doobie, which wrapped up in 2016. And we began working on this piece like almost immediately afterwards, maybe a month afterwards. So from 2016 to 2021, we were working on Lyra again with post ballet, uh, which did a film with Ben Tarquin um, that was that we live scored. Well, it had been scored, but we performed it live um, with uh, with an hour long piece written by Samuel Adams. Basically, the piece it's was written by Samuel Adams, who's um, a composer that we've been working with for a decade. And this piece is his kind of response to, or reaction to, or like interpolation of the Orpheus myth. And it's an hour long. It's the largest piece he's ever written. Um, in terms of scope and scale, it's his first full album and the second album that we've released under our, our record label, Earthy Records. Um, and it's almost entirely in unison. So Travis and I, basically, I'm a percussionist, Travis is a guitarist. And the, the idea, one of many ideas that that piece is working through is the idea of like us becoming one single kind of hyper instrument. Like, the idea of like the whatever like the lyre would be in the the future or the present um, is what is the instrument Sam tried to create. So over the course of this album, like basically the two of us are in unison creating this this instrument that is a through line throughout the entire thing that that goes a ton of different places, does a ton of different things. But it's like there's that instrument reacting to an electronic world that Sam also built, and those two things in counterpoint or sometimes together in unison like is is what is what the album is and has been so fun to build and play and now listen back to i love that idea of and i'm not sure i have my head around it, the the idea of the two of you being one instrument that's interacting with itself is that what you're totally fully so basically like i mean in at the core what we do is chamber music so we are a duo that performs chamber music in like the Western classical tradition is how we were trained. We met at the San Francisco Conservatory mm-hmm. where I studied classical percussion and Travis studied classical guitar. Um, and we've like, I think a lot of our life has been spent running from that tradition and reacting to it and, you know, sort of throwing tantrums in its face. But like, this was a, like, this project is unique in that it is, first of all, very much a continuation of the classical tradition, right? Like from like Monteverdi on the Orpheus myth has inspired a lot of art. And this is part like intentionally part of that lineage. But um, one of the things that makes it uniquely challenging for chamber music is it's hard when two people have to play anything in unison. Mm. Like it's, it's a, it's, 
shouldn't sound difficult, but in practice, like to do to do a complicated thing is hard already, but to do have two people do a complicated thing in exact unison is, you know, takes knowing the person for a decade and playing with them for a really long time and a lot of practice. And, you know, you, you have to build that kind of shared artistic vocabulary together. And Sam, when writing for us, was aware that that was a thing that was part of our own like artistic language mm -hmm. and built that into the piece. So basically he made, rather than having like, a very intentional duo where like the guitar does one thing, the percussion does another thing. And then sometimes they come together, sometimes they come apart. What Sam thought would be really exciting and not just to watch, but also to listen to was to have like, what if these two things that were separate instruments were playing on top of each other at the same time to create this instrument that like something that was more than the sum of its parts, it's its own unique instrument. And then that instrument, which is made up of two people playing it at the same time effectively can then interact with electronic resonance or like field recordings or anything like that. Or Sam himself performing, which he does a fair amount on the album. He plays bass and piano. Like, so the, like the, in Hades and Persephone, there's, you'll hear a piano sound and that's Sam playing it. I've like dabbled in string arranging just a little on my own. And um, one of the things that's really interesting to me is I get stuck in these places with just writing for a string quartet where I'm like, oh no, these guys are playing the same note. That's a waste. I feel like I'm wasting an instrument by having them play the same note at the same time. So it's really interesting to kind of think of it that way of, no, actually it's really cool to have two different instruments doing the exact same thing. Well, also because our instruments are so sonically different, right? Like a vibraphone is like ringing metal and an electric guitar is a plucked string and so together they create they they interact in ways that are really fascinating mm. pluck and plunk <laughs> that's that that should be the subtitle of the the album pluck that, and plunk pluck and plunk i think that, <laughs> those like either that's the name of our comedy duo or like an alternate name for the ensemble mm -hmm. actually maybe maybe when we like make our uh you know, make like an animated show pilot. Like that'll be like the yeah. ding, the ding dongs that star in that show that are based on us. Yeah. I'm fully <laughs> subscribed to whatever that, whatever that becomes. I'm watching it. <laughs> Watch for uh, Nick Jr. Oh yeah. Perfect. Disney channel. <laughs> All of them. We should do a different, a different series for each, each available streaming channel. <laughs> that's, are, the, that's the next move after the record label. But yeah. no one will ever know how to find it. You know, even if it's on everything, like I don't know, like how do I? Where's my password for this channel? Oh, God. no, exactly. It, it's it's a button that's nineteen ninety nine a month. <laughs> that's perfect. Let's talk a little about like zooming out a little of this project because it's also been commissioned by you got the the piece itself. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah. I mean, we, we operate in a lot of ways the way like classical music has operated for centuries. Like we commissioned a composer to write a piece of music for us as an ensemble. So in the way that like, you know, symphonies have been made forever, like there is, there was, you know, a commissioning, like a, you know, a, any composer was sort of like commissioned to create a work, create a score for an ensemble or an orchestra or whatever. And they delivered a sheet of music and then they, the ensemble performed it. Mm. And that's how we've operated, right? So like, at, even though like sonically and musically and artistically, we stray really far from that model and sort of confront it directly a lot, the way we operate and the way like our, our, the, the core of our practice in a lot of ways is the relationship between a composer and an interpreter. Um, 
so like in a lot of ways, you know, to, to folks, I'll like, I'll describe what we do as sort of like, we are like in, if it was visual art, we would be both like the museum and the paint. Um, mm. but like there's a separate person who is using us as an, as a tool to realize like an artistic vision. So we commissioned Sam to basically make the, the, the biggest thing he could or the thing that he couldn't otherwise like Sam has, you know, writes for symphonies, like a lot of symphony orchestras and string quartets and chamber orchestras and like very institutional classical music organizations. Um, but you know, when you're working with the San Francisco symphony, there's only so like, it's beautiful and they're amazing, but it's also extremely limiting. Like you don't, you get like not many rehearsals and you're, the music's not played that often. And it's like, it, it's limiting in terms of what you can do, how you can do it, how you can approach it. And so, you know, as much as Sam does amazing work with the San Francisco Symphony or whatever, like with us, he was able to spend five years building a piece and revising it and knowing that we'd memorize it, knowing that we'd go back and redo it and like really collaborate to build something together um, and that he could perform on it and it mm. could really access every part of who he is as an artist and a person. Um, and so he was able to make this thing that was bigger in duration and scope than anything he's ever done. And that's really our goal as an organization is to give artists, whether they're like firmly entrenched in the classical tradition or like have been kept out of it on purpose, like the tools to make the, the thing that's like their most ambitious thing. Like it's our job to kind of bring that to life and be tools in the service of that. It, it seems like there's also less, um, uh, and I'm just imagining this. I, d I don't know a lot about the uh, San Francisco Orchestra, but like the, uh, I'm sure there are certain restrictions that come from them when they're commissioning a piece that it has to somehow be accessible to their sure. audience. And go go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, and um, like to to a certain point for sure, right? Like it's, I think when you're working with large arts organizations, there's a framework that things tend to need to fit within. Like, you know that it's going to be programmed next to things that you might be less in control of, or you know what they are, and they're these, like, classical warhorses that it has to make logical, cohesive sense. Um, you're, you're limited in terms of instrumentation and duration, um, and, like, sometimes, like, what you can use, like, what sort of electronic elements you can use. Um, but I think more importantly, in terms of just how much rehearsal time you have, like you know, for like orchestras learn so much music so quickly that like, you know, it really is a luxury for like, you know, with, with Sam, like this piece went through so many iterations and we worked on it for so long that he really could be like, like every single note on the album is intentional hmm. and, and ideal, which, which was, you know, the most important thing for us. And being able to work directly with you guys as it's the, the thing that seems so like, I, uh, circular in a good way, like the way that you're all sort of supporting each other. He's he's writing for you. You're performing his work, but your your uh, organization is helping his work, you know, become what it is. So he's you're sure. you're the tool of his creativity, but in a way, he's also the tool of your or the product of. I, I don't know what to name each of these little pieces, but everything is like helping oh, it, fully. lifting all the pieces, lift each other up. Totally. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, going back to like the museum analogy where like the curator and like we're the, the place where the work lives and can like give it a life, but we're also like the tools with which the work is made. Mm. So it's kind of fun to be at both like, 
you know, that like at both ends of sort of like the, the hierarchy of how the work comes into being. Mm. I, and I'm, like, because I think we're able to be both of those things, it allows a certain kind of agency that the composer has to be able to like access all parts of, of how it exists. Yeah. The, um, I'm looking at this, this, uh, earthy records segment that talks about all the different, uh, things that you incorporate development tools, distribution, creative freedom, and funds, which are like major, like for any artist, those are all like super hard to come by a lot of the time. How did, how did it, how did it happen that you guys started this level of, of what you do? Like what? I mean, the need was obviously easy to spot, but how did you guys decide that this was something that that you could take on? I think like from the top level, it was just thinking about what the next step was for us. I mean, this is, I think, our 12th season, but thinking about like, what is the next thing that we can do to elevate our collaborators? Um, and then it was just to take full control over how our records are released or how people experience the music that we build together with those collaborators is having more control over um, not even just like when it comes out or whatever, but the narrative around it. Mm. Also, I think like in our field of, you know, classical music recording is often thought of as an afterthought because it just hemorrhages money. And there's like, you know, the, the market for like experimental recordings is perhaps not what it was. Um, just financially. So like, I think so often, you know, recordings tend to be, if not an afterthought, like performance capture. And so it's like, oh man, this would be really cool to hear live is sometimes like the, the point of it. Right. And the reality is the way 99% of the world will interact with what we do is via recordings. And so it was really important for us because like if we're commissioning an artist to make something, make something that's uncompromising and ambitious, what does it mean to have the recording be part of that initial thought, you know, as they're making something rather than like making this incredible stage show and then being like, after the fact, how are you going to make that into an album? Knowing that like, what, what is your idea and how is this going to exist in the world and how can it be accessed by, by humans is if that's like a central guiding foundational question that allows the work to exist in uncompromising form in a lot of different ways. So like Lyra was, yeah, made as a multidisciplinary ballet with like um, choreography and sort of and direction by Robin Deckers in post-ballet and a film created by Ben Tarquin and like, like it's a whole thing. But like it was also designed to be an album at the exact same time. So like that album is is an another idealized like the ideal uncompromising way to experience that work is as an album without all of the other elements and that was really important for us to start a label to be able to 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 ensure to our collaborators that their work would exist in that way and live forever beyond the life of a live performance mm. In, in a way that's, again, I think sort of like the opposite of how a lot of like traditional classical music arts organizations, like if someone is commissioned by a symphony, it'll get played through, like the piece will get played three or four times and then it's gone forever. Like you can't hear it. Like it'll something like, yeah, sometimes occasionally it'll be recorded, but rarely. And to us, if like access is something we're trying to prioritize, that seemed insane. I think it's really interesting too that, that, 
the album is its own entity. You know, like people who see the performance and also have the album will have. I mean, obviously it's a different experience, but it's not. They're they're their own creations, right? Like they're that the album isn't just a recording of the performance. For sure. Um, there's something you did that I was super excited to notice too. Uh, your music for a hard times handmade hardcover zine. <laughs> I, I also make zines and I make music to go with them. So I was really like, oh, yay, look, it's a zine. Is that, uh, can you tell me about some of that? Like, there's so many different things. Every When I'm looking at your website, I'm like, oh, I got to talk about this too. Uh, we'll talk about the zine. Yeah, the label, like we're committing for these first three years of the label to to do four releases a year. Music for Hard Times was the first one in this season. And Lyra was the second. And for every one of those releases, we want to have um, a physical component that does something that enhances the recorded work. And that took the form of a zine with Music for Hard Times because, um, well, A, Danny's handwriting is beautiful. Um, but also just to have like some format to understand um, the meditative strategies that went into recording the work. Um, and we had wonderful... Um, not just design, but also this uh, silkscreen on on paper printing by Brandy Grogan and Nick Ross. But we did a limited run of these hardcover zines with with a com still compact disc. I can't believe that these are still a thing. But we put a compact disc in the back of every one of these hardcover zines and did a limited run. And we're we're going to do something similar in some printed form for every release that we do. That's cool. I love that the fact that there's a compact disc makes me also like, wow. How like <laughs> I, I can't believe it. they're back. They're back. You know, it's just like on Bandcamp is like people, people want them. It's so interesting. Um, well, also, so in addition to the physical component, there also, there's also a film with all of the, at least the ones this year, like every work that we're releasing has a full length film component. Um, so with Dan, with Music for Our Times, there's an ambient film created by John Fisher um, just like with Lyra, there's the full choreo choreography that was um, filmed by Ben Tarquin. And that's just like, it's, it seems silly to not, like, those all support, not just support each other, but like feel essential to the, the experience. There, there's something to be said, of course, for, you know, music is consumed in this non-tangible way. Like having something to hand somebody is also like, exciting is that was that part of the motivation for behind some of these things too you're biting your lip but i'm saying yes um, for sure for sure like it is nice to like have and hold a thing mm. um but also like it's you know i think it's not just having a thing for the sake of having a thing like the idea of like those material like with danny that's the score of the piece like that zine is literally the score and it was designed for anyone who can like one of the subversive things about Danny as a composer is like that score can be played by anybody and it'll be great. Like to be able to actually do those, like those calming strategies, anyone can perform and make sounds that are, that would be special. And that's, it's important for us that that's part of that piece too. Ah, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking at this. I'm so excited that I discovered you guys. Like I'm looking at the pages of the zine and these are exactly the type of things when I was in music school. Also, like I remember learning about John Cage and different yep. things like that and being like, what? Like I'm having that same kind of moment of like just the looking at like 
this is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that work practice is definitely in there. Um, For sure. But I think that anybody that I would want to listen to and experience this album, which is everybody, mm-hmm. um, I would want them to have the experience that I had as a performer because we're trying to eliminate those lines anyway. We're like, anybody can perform this music. So like we invite the listener to like, to engage in the activities that we do. And I can't imagine like doing that without having access to, um, I don't even want to call it a score, but just like, you know what Andy and I were thinking about mm-hmm. when we, when we recorded ourselves. Totally. Michael, where was musical, where was music school for you? Uh, it was two places, the Houston community college and then cool. U- university of Houston. Got to say, oh, cool. the community college was like my most exciting place. That's awesome. We just got back from Texas. Um, we were just in Austin. Oh, nice. It's colder here. Yeah. And you got, you're San Francisco. I'm in Brooklyn now, but I'm from Texas. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Are you from Houston, like the Houston area? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I've never, never been, but. Heard it's real big. It's very big. A lot of Houston. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of Houston. It has like a pretty cool arts community, but it I could use them, some yeah. improvement as well. I understand. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm, I left, I left Austin being very fond of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's a certain thing with Texas and arts in Texas. That's, it has a, it has its own special thing that I miss. Yeah. There, there's a, there's an urgency about like art making in Texas that is totally infectious and lovely. Ah, that's, I'm curious what, like, if you could say more about that. Well, I mean, we were there for South by Southwest, which is kind of a a fully different experience because that's, that's, that's Texan on some level, but like also very, very not. Mm -hmm. Um, but we've, we've played in Austin before. Um, and I think like on some level, just because the artistic community is a little bit smaller, there's like a level of things are tight knit in a different kind of way. Like things that could feel kind of like siloed and clicky in places like New York or even in the Bay sometimes in a place in other places feel it feels like a cohesive community that everyone kind of has to have each other's back, even if they're doing slightly different things. Just yeah, it, w- it was yeah. like that part of like just like going and, and making music in Texas was like completely different than one we've had on the West Coast where it was like the people we were crashing with were also making our merch. you know like it was like it was cool you know it had this family vibe um that was really invigorating like i came home feeling like a million bucks uh yeah now yeah i now i see what you're talking about yeah yep 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 agreed well also (laughs) our, our collaborators in that project we were out there with like have have been working for so long for so many decades that like have they have built a network of friends and collaborators all over the country. And so like we can go to any city and like have have people who are like, oh yeah, I love Lenny. Like we've known each other for like 30 years. And that's in our yeah, it's it's fun and special to be a part of. So we're gonna listen to a, another track. We've got two more tracks to listen to, which we decided in in between podcast land, which has been now edited out of the show. Um so commando. Talk to me about what that is and the track we're about to listen to. I issued a dare, um, sort of accidentally, <laughs> that you be that you give me something that's too vulgar for the podcast. <laughs> well, okay. So, um, in addition to the four albums we're releasing via Earthy Records, we also have a couple things that we're doing that are collaborations are released by other labels, and um, one of the things is a project 
that we made called Commando. And it is, it's not classical music. It's, it's a rap metal band um, that was started like, we started it in maybe like 2016 or so with the research question of like, how could like that very specific moment culturally that birthed like Limp Bizkit and like rap metal and like the attendant sort of like noxious, like misogyny, homophobia, what, like all, all the things, sexism, like, like the, the gross things that like permeated that, that type of popular music. Like what if that specific moment like culturally had been used for good instead of evil? Like how mm. would the world have been different? Um, and so it's basically like what it started as was us doing our best, like Rage Against the Machine impressions with like five of the most like incredibly like heroic and just spectacular, like queer and trans singers, rappers, yellers, screamers. Um, and it became something that was far more than the sum of its parts. Um, it's now a band, it's a band with eight of us. Um, so Travis and I are like two thirds of the rhythm section. There's a bassist, uh, Van Jackson Weaver as well. Um, with just with um, five singers who each quarterbacked a couple songs on the album, and then together it's a pretty insane stage show that's just aggressively not classical music. It's mm-hmm. but it's like the musical vocabulary of our specific instruments, like you know, as a drummer and as a electric guitarist, like those are th- how we uh, you know started our instruments in the first place, and also are things that are extremely important to us as musicians. And so if our mission as an organization, as the Living Earth Show, is to allow our artistic collaborators to realize ambitious artistic visions, specifically ones that wouldn't otherwise be able to exist for and all sorts of reasons, whether those are structural, whether those are based on how anyone sort of like looks and what their like various perspectives are on just like life, the world, or art making. Like it was essential for us to like the, the the singers on this project are the artists that are the most important to us in the world. And so for us to be a useful, like creating something that is of use, like it would be really silly for us to be like, you know, Hey, Lenny Breedlove, you want to write an overture? Hmm. Like that's insane. Or like, and that's, that's not, like instead for us, it was like, Hey, what do you want to make? And how can we be helpful in doing that? And that's how like we wrote all these songs together. And as we started working, we became more and more of a cohesive band. Um, and so Meat Swinger is a song on this album. So it's, we, it came out, I don't know when this is going to air, but like it, the album came out in early March through Kill Rock Stars, um, which is just a, a spectacular indie rock label. Yeah. But, um, but this is a song that Juba Kalamka wrote. It's called Meat Swinger in you know, parentheses, Morello Mamello. It's about, I don't know, uh, Tom Morello, is that a person you're familiar with? No. Okay, he's, he's awesome. He's the guitarist in Rage Against the Machine. He um, blends art and activism in really powerful, cool ways, um, but also like sort of sheepishly admitted that he was like a sort of sex worker in college. Like he like did like was a stripper at bachelor parties or something. Uh-huh. And it was like, sort of like sheepishly was like, yeah, like me and my buddy like needed to like get a hot tub or something. So we did it like, <laughs> ha ha ha. Um, and then for Juba who like was like a professional sex worker for many years was like, thought that was like kind of funny and like imagined like what, like a 
this this imagined character that was a combination of the two of their experiences. Um, and so that's what this song was about. And also, the at the end, the the it needed piano, so we just called up Sam, who who again like wrote Lyra, is a uh-huh. just stunning composer. Is like, hey, you want to like lay down a little bit of like piano tracks for this? And so he just in twenty minutes fired that out, which is the end of this piece, and is as different from Lyra as one could get. But I think sort of shows, you know, yeah, it, it's a fun, it's a fun illustration of like the things we think are fun. Um, I'm really excited to listen to this. <laughs> Let's give it a listen. It's it's, <laughs> it's Meet Swinger. Is it spelled Swinger? Yes. Like Meet Swinger by Commando. When I get in the bed with the woman, they call me the great artiste. Hey, uh, hold, hold on. What do they call you in America? The coxicare. <laughs> You're satisfied. You're satisfied. You're satisfied. You're satisfied. 
That was Commando with Meat Swinger. I'm so happy we included that. Thanks. I'm glad our conversation sort of took us in that direction. Um, it gives Me a good too. contrast to what we've listened to before. And just the, the wide range of things that you all are interested in and making happen. It, at this time, it is time for us to say goodbye. Uh, <laughs> we're going to listen to another track um, before we do. And I also, this leads me to a question I was thinking of. Uh, social media. Do you guys have social media? I didn't see it on your website. Are you on like the Twitters and the Instagrams yes. and all those things? Um, at Living Earth Show, pretty much everywhere. So on Instagram and on Twitter, at Living Earth Show. Um, for Commando, or at Commando Sucks everywhere. So like on Instagram and Twitter mostly. Not, not Commando Sucks everywhere, but just Commando Sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's too many characters. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, and then the website, we've got a couple of them, Living Earth. The Living Earth, the Living Earth Show.com. Awesome. And then um, actually, you know, tles.bandcamp.com is where you can find, or earthyrecords.bandcamp.com is where you can find what our label is up to. And then commandothebando.bandcamp.com is where yeah. you can find all commando things. We, we love you for hanging out there. Uh, I love it. And I'll be sure to put links to all of these places. Um, so we're going to listen to a, a track now from Music for Hard Times, which we discussed earlier. This is volume two, part two. And I think this is a perfect place for us to say goodbye. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to be invited somewhere finally.
And so we come to the end of another episode of Mikey Pod. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for bearing with me during long breaks. Thank you to the Living Earth Show for joining me today. Please do go check out their music, uh, other bands on their label. And um, that's it. Thanks for listening. And I will see you next week.